Coming up on the show this week, we discuss the move of the T20 World Cup and its ramifications, Pavel Florin and his Romanian teammates taking out the Sofia T20, and we chat to Vanuatu Cricket Association President Mark Stafford. But first, a shout out to our Emerging Cricket patrons who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an EC patron. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash emergingcricket. As always, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler join me for this one. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Berswick, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner. First to you, Nick. How's things? I'm very well, Bez. I got my uh, my new Winnipeg Jets jersey, as you can see, which is nice. Um, yeah, very, very uh, sad that they didn't make it through the NHL finals. Not the Winnipeg Hawks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did see a tweet that went out today with a uh, certain batter uh, advertising the minor league cricket series that had a Winnipeg Hawks. Yeah, didn't quite add helmet up. on. I think that might have been uh, social media one hundred and one. Wipe the logo off your helmet. But anyway, mm. sorry. I'll, I'll let you keep answering. Um. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. No. no I'm, I'm. well. I've been following the uh, the ice hockey finals. My friends. Uh, Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup, which is very exciting for him uh, as he's stuck in Perth. Shout out to Tom. Uh, but uh, yes, um, going well. Looking forward to uh, getting stuck into another podcast. Yeah, didn't really want to bring up any NHL allegiances. The Penguins once again got blown out of the first round of the playoffs. But this is a cricket podcast after all. Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Well, I, I don't care about the NHL. That's, that's for starters. So um, I'm good. I'm... You know, if we remember from last week, I was sitting in the pitch black outside because my outside light didn't work, and my internet only works outside. But now I'm, I'm chilled. The light's working again, and uh, and life is good. It's uh, a chilly 23 degrees here. Oh, don't um, rub it in. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I see you guys in your hoodies and your scarves, and I'm well aware that's not cold. But uh, it seems to, or officially announced population has gone over 300,000 in Vanuatu this week so I think 300,000 people here would be telling me it's a lot colder <laughs> than it is but uh, I'm I'm good I'm actually a little sore I um I, I oh, played cricket <laughs> I played I played cricket last week um and look I, I won't tell you how I went um but I'll I'll let you ask me but no it was it was good to play I was trying to count back as to the last time I, I played cricket, it was before I left Hong Kong to, to move back to Oz, and I was, wow. I was back there for two years. So it did feel like I was playing in someone else's body um, <laughs> and trying to move things. I, I, I imagined it kind of like that scene in Men in Black when they in the face kind of peels away and there's an alien with all the, the wheels and the pedals and the stalks to, <laughs> to, to try and drive the human. And that's what I felt like. Um, but no, it was good to get out there again, Daniel. But um, otherwise, never a dull moment here. Busy, busy, busy. I think I've now ticked over seven weeks in paradise. And I'd, I'd consider myself settled in, but still a lot to learn, a lot to take in. But uh, I'm well. How are you? I think you're juggling about three jobs at the moment while still editing basically everything that everyone reads on EmergingCricket.com. Yeah, I've got to say, not a whole lot in the cricket world is 
going past without me having a, a little look at the moment. To go a bit full member on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, I think we've got four international full member series going on at this stage. Australia are about to play the West Indies. And as we'll talk at some point uh, over the course of this podcast, we've had a World Cup move. We've had the Sofia uh, T20. So things are ramping up again, even as we sit here, Nick and I at least, in New South Wales in the midst of a lockdown. But there is a lot going on. Uh, and we might even have time to talk about your half century over the weekend, Tim, in a losing side, albeit. <laughs> well, when you have a guy come out and score 100 off 33 rocks like Clement Tommy did against us, um, 140 in a T20 game ain't, ain't too much. But yes, we may come back to that. If not, we've actually got a, an interview today, so it's not going to be me talking for, <laughs> for half an hour. Yes, it, it's quite a special one too because we've got Tim Cutler's boss on the podcast, president of the Vanuatu Cricket Association, Mark Stafford. You'll hear that part one at least um, on today's show. But let's talk about some news that was coming for a long time, uh, had been rumoured for for weeks, if not months. The T20 World Cup this year has officially been moved to the UAE and Oman, originally scheduled for India, of course, and we all know why it's not being hosted there. But I think a couple of really big potential storylines to come out of this, and they certainly relate to our movement and emerging cricket in general, two associate nations hosting a global tournament. I don't think we expected this to happen, not only in normal circumstances, but in any other situation. Oman to host parts of the first round. It's unclear whether or not Oman will actually be playing at home. We'll talk about that in a second, hypothetically. But this is a great opportunity for both of these associate members to showcase some international cricket on just about the biggest stage imaginable. Nick, it it must be a good opportunity. We spoke to Pankaj Kimji a few weeks ago. They seem ready to go. UAE, we know, are ready to go. They've done things like this before and they'll host the IPL as well. It's a huge opportunity for both members. Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense for Oman to be doing this for them. Um, And in terms of allowing the T20 World Cup to go ahead as as planned, it's pretty helpful because the BCCI is also running the IPL up until almost the very start of the tournament. So just giving them a bit more flexibility with, with pitches and venues and, um, you know, allowing them to wrap up the IPL is good. So, you know, they, they're giving, it's, it's, they're definitely doing the BCCI a favour. I'm sure uh, there's, there's some compensation there um, as well. And, and that'll be good for cricket in Oman. Uh, it, it's an interesting question, uh, you know, are Oman going to play at home? Because then they've sort of um, snuck their way into getting a, a home ground advantage for the first round, which is um, you know, not great for the other teams in their group. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Because it, w- it would also be weird if they were hosting and then they were sort of sent to a bubble in the UAE and, and someone else is coming to, to have a bubble in Oman. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess first and foremost, it's great that it's it's happening. You know, we've seen global events shunted and, and, and pushed around. So that's great. And it's still the same size that it was. You know, it's not a shortened or shrunk version to um, to minimise the number of teams in, in the bubble. So that's great. And as you said, you know, boomed for, for Oman that have invested heavily in, in that facility over the last few years. You know, we heard Pankaj talk about how for many years they're playing basically on rubble and how, how much and how far they've come. So that, that is great indeed with the, the funding that, that comes to them. But, you, you know, you've posed an interesting question. I've thought about this before, you know, because they're not the hosts. They're quasi-hosts. It's on behalf of the BCCI. I like how people have made sure to say that because we know that with global events, the host is able to keep all of the ticketing revenue 
um, they get a hosting fee, uh, and there are other other benefits as well. So I don't think we'll ever know what the financial arrangement is between the BCCI and Emirates Cricket Board and, and Oman, but you'd like to think there's a hefty sanctioning fee and the fringe benefits that come from that as well in terms of inviting dignitaries and the employment of, of local labour as well because it's not like the BCCI can suddenly ship in all of their grounded attendees and your curators and, and, and everyone. So it's, it's going to be great for those two economies in general. But with the way that COVID is at the moment, one would think at the moment that we're not going to see crowd so that's going to be interesting when it comes to, to ticket prices we know how huge these events are from the ICC because this is where the money that is distributed by the ICC to all 104 members comes from it's from the media rights for this but why it makes sense for a country to host is because they make money from the combination of the hosting fee and the and the tickets so just hope that it's it's worth everyone's while in the background but as we've seen already in the in the news this week that Oman's talking about spending two million dollars to to upgrade Al Amaret which is great for them I don't know if they had that two million bucks in uh, in reserves or whether it's been augmented with the funds that come for the BCCI but that's that's great for associate cricket too because we're going to have a facilities there to go with those in the UAE already and it's it's sort of weird isn't it you look at the UAE or they're an associate you don't see those facilities as associate facilities they are world-class facilities that have been used by countless events to host tournaments and I've got a dog next to me hold on oh. <laughs> there we go. that's nice and uh there we go hey puppy so uh oh hello yeah you heard me yeah oh, you heard me talk does our canine friend have opinions on <laughs> on all of this it's funny, you look at the UAE and it's great and the associate is, is hosting, but it's, I don't think they're seen as an associate in terms of the facilities that they that they have. And it's not sad by any stretch, but the fact that the ECB do not own and control those those world-class facilities means that the money's not coming to them or come to the, the stadium owners. And we've seen so many global events use those facilities and we know they can hold up. And who knows what the balance is going to be between Oman and the UAE, whether we're going to see one first round in Oman and another one in UAE because the ICC hasn't said anything and I guess the cynicness says that that's to make sure that the IPL can get its matches done in the in the UAE but I guess we'll have to to wait and see but I guess it's just all all really good news but what would you do boys did if you're the ICC do you let the Oman side play at home even when they're not actually host with the view of trying to grow the game in that country and getting local fans there or do you say well you're not actually the host, so you should not get an advantage, and therefore we're going to put your group over in the UAE. Well, I mean, you'd think with the current spike in cases um, in Oman that they, you know, they wouldn't be getting many fans in anyway. So that aspect of it doesn't really make sense to me. But I, I don't know. I, it's sort of a bit good for them. But if I was, you know, PNG or someone, I, I wouldn't necessarily be very happy about it. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think very rare do we see associate members get any sort of advantage like this. You know, I can only really think of. Perhaps Kenya when they when they had matches in the in the Cricket World Cup of two thousand and three. It's not something that happens very often. So you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be too particular and 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 give Oman a chance to play on home conditions. But on the other side of that, I can completely understand why the other members of their first round group wouldn't really like that. And I think on principle, with the tournament that was supposed to be well, first of all held in Australia and then held in India. No one was supposed to get this advantage. So I think on principle, you would have to say that Oman would actually be in in the other group to, to where Oman would be 
hosting. But what an opportunity for, for both of them, particularly Oman. And again, you know, thinking about what Pankaj had to say on, on the show a few weeks ago, they're definitely going to be ready for it. And, and they've set themselves up for stuff like this to, to host international cricket at the highest level. They were ready to host Test Cricket when Afghanistan, Zimbabwe came around. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But in the future, we're going to see more international cricket of this type in this region, and especially with Afghanistan. I think they're moving their actual home matches, home in inverted commas, to UAE. So I think as one nation removed from that, I think Oman can definitely jump on, on that as well. But yeah, to bring it back, it would be interesting to see if, if Oman get that advantage to play in Oman and then yet yeah, to what you said Nick whether or not they have fans in the building for it, it it remains to be seen but I'm looking forward to this I think the associates have a better chance of progressing past the first round playing uh, UAE in Oman as opposed to India but in saying that with the IPL just before it a lot of full member players are going to be playing in that tournament and getting a leg up into the into the major tournament as well. I think from an associate point of view, they're probably a little bit luckier that no Sri Lankans will be playing in that IPL because I don't think there were any when the IPL started. And I think that's the same with Bangladesh outside of Shakib maybe. So you never know. I think there's a better chance now for, for an associate to, to really make their mark and to make a deeper run into the tournament with the tournament now in a new location. makes you think as well, as you look into the future of the 20-team men's T20 World Cup in the future, how much better it will be if we see a an event hosted across the West Indies in the USA, for example, that will have first-round groups with high-flying full members as part, as part of these matches that Oman would have been hosting. And I know it's a little back-to-front when you think of it that way, but there'll be a full member in each of those those well two if you've got islands at the moment but doesn't have the same weight and the fact that a lot of agencies are referring to this as the qualifier you know it's oh you said the quiet bit loud and the loud bit quiet um (laughs) no i I think it's i think it's good that they call it qualifier because that's what it is and you know yes I, i was i promise i was being positive there saying that if we see a shared event and look i think it's inevitable that we're going to see a global event hosted in the u.s you know we saw what football did in 94 we're going to see the same thing with cricket trying to break into the american market through having a major event there if you've got one or two groups or you think even one group in canada one in america and i'm not telling the icc what to do i'm sort of thinking of the the opportunities if you've got some high-flying full members in those groups and it just changes the whole impetus of the the rounds and those events that then lead into whatever final series they're going to have um, out of those those groups. But uh, yeah, who'd have thought? You know, I remember when they were designing and, and building that Al Emirat Academy, just thinking, wow, you know, it's like this mirage in, in the desert with this amazing view of the, the mountains and whatnot to see how it's grown and, and now it's going to be hosting a World Cup. Pretty amazing. Some T20 action that did unfold last week on the field. The Sofia T20 hosts Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia and Greece. It was taken out by Romania and well, one of everyone's favourite <laughs> associate cricketers, Pavel Florin. Maybe just cricketers worldwide. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's <laughs> go there. Uh, Pavel Florin, as well as teammate Samuela, leading the uh, the bowling charge for the Romanians in a great tournament victory for them. There was a few individual standouts from from just about everyone. Uh, Aravinda da Silva, a very famous name, uh, <laughs> representing Bulgaria, making a hundred. But look, it was great. 
uh, we, we saw a lot of color. There was a lot of energy in that tournament. Um, it captured a lot of attention. I did notice too that the live scores of that were, were all over the place. So a, a true sign that the people are starting to get around tournaments of this nature, Nick, and yeah, enjoyable and good to see Romania coming through and, and getting the victory there. Yes, Romania beat Bulgaria in the Balkan Cup last year, one of the first series back in Europe after lockdown, and they uh, managed to, to get one over their neighbours again. Uh, so, you know, good good for them. Bulgaria probably going to be a bit disappointed. They, they couldn't push them a bit further, but the Romanian batters... Talk about playing in cheat mode. Ramesh Satizan with 197 runs at a strike rate of 209. And Taranjeet Singh, 156 runs in the tournament, a strike rate of 264. Just incredible stuff. They really dominated and, and they smashed Bulgaria in the final. But they managed to beat Serbia by twice as much in the semifinal. So it was an interesting format, actually. They had they had four teams, but they ended up having semifinals, which I, I don't mind. I mean... I think it's probably just so that everyone gets an extra game and just to help um, make the trip worthwhile. But uh, yeah, as you said, Bulgarian Aravinda de Silva did well for them. Christo Lakov as well for Bulgaria with in the top five for runs and wickets. He's He was a performer in the, the Balkan Cup as well, so handy performer for them. Serbia, I, I believe you've ordered one of their uniforms. They looked very snazzy on the field, but they, they did struggle to, to uh, compete. But uh, tell us about the uniform, Bez. I'm not sure when it's coming. I haven't got an estimated time of arrival there, but anytime I see something like that go out on public sale and it being available in Australia, I try and jump on it as, as quick as possible because, you know, associate cricket and, and the way that members will, will generate their income, jersey sales is, is one avenue that, that people can go down. And just helping out on on that front, I think, is, is a good idea. And I would implore anyone who, who's you know, able to do so, also jump in and, and start collecting jerseys. I did go a little bit crazy. I might have ordered a Sri Lanka one as well when Sri Lanka played England the other night and I saw how good that one was as well. I'm just wondering if we can get Christo Larkov's name as famous as uh, great Bulgarian footballer Christo Stoichkov um, <laughs> perhaps one you, day you, down the line. You're getting off track, Daniel. You're getting off track. Come back to cricket. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to, to everything and, and I suppose to wind it back to that point about jerseys, Tim and you know as as someone who runs an associate member that they should try and do their utmost in, in selling fan merchandise because people like me and Jim Congdon one of our great patrons will be uh, the first people collecting them you're right um, I think the uh, catchphrase is uh, is fan engagement these days but uh, spot on uh, make it as easy as possible for people to be part of the family and especially with some of the jerseys out there that uh, are oh, some of the, the best in the world, really, I think, in, in the associate world with some of the innovation that we see and amazing colours. And I think the Serbian one, and it's kind of leaning on a bit of a football flavour, especially for football nuffies like yourself. If you can't beat them, join them sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I look forward to see seeing how it goes, Bez, like, uh, and how football-y it is, whether it feels like a football shirt or a cricket shirt. Not thinking out loud here, it's something the ICC could you imagine an ICC store if the ICC made that available for uh, every associate to sell a number of their shirts and merchandise on the website but anyway Will Glenwright we know you're listening to this that's another great idea to add to the list and just before we finish up I'd like to mention uh, Greece's uh, handy left left arm wrist spinner Georgios Galanos who uh, topped their wicket tally so always nice to see a, a left arm wrist spinner going round and um, Spiridon Gasteratos is probably uh, an, another candidate for, for quality associate cricketer names up there uh, as well from Greece. 
That's all the news in the Emerging game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. Coming up, Nick and I chat with Vanuatu Cricket Association President Mark Stafford and get Tim's very first appraisal as Vanuatu Cricket Association CEO. I'm Sarah Bakitawitoto. I'm the current vice captain of the Kenya ladies cricket team. I'm a batting all-rounder. My dream is to play in the World Cup very soon. And you're listening to the Imagine Cricket Podcast. Well, here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we now have Tim Cutler's boss on the show. To avoid all conflict of interest, we've removed him from the chat. But it's a very gracious welcome to the president of the Vanuatu Cricket Association and has been the president since 1991, coming up to 30 years. Mark Stafford, thank you for joining the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you, Bez, and I'm very pleased to be here. It's been a long, a long, a long time, but a fantastic ride. Could you imagine 30 years ago that this is where you you would be? Has this always been the plan? Has this always been the, the vision of, of Mark Stafford, president of the Vanuatu Cricket Association? The plan for, for, for me as president of Vanuatu Cricket has been year by year. Um, there's a plan to make us better, but that's about the strength of it, and we determine how we make Vanuatu Cricket better as the matters unfold. We'll talk about some of your other roles as well, being on the Chief Executive Council as well. Chief Executive Committee, I should say. Uh, you also represented Vanuatu uh, in the early years there. What were the early beginnings of, of Vanuatu cricket when you were there from the early 90s? And, and what are some of the things that you take great pride in three decades later reflecting on the journey? Our, our cricket was a, like a suburban cricket competition when I arrived in the, in the mid-80s. It was uh, Saturday afternoon games uh, played on the one oval that we had called Independence Park, previously called uh, British Paddock. Um, and it was a good, good, friendly atmosphere. A lot of friends were made. Probably a lot of lives were created as, as we went through. But uh, it was tough, uh, tough and fun. And I think that uh, we, we, we had our moments. But, uh, you know, we go back. In Vanuatu cricket goes back to the early 1900s, where about the time that the colonial era started, and 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 it sort of just moseyed along in that character of uh, Saturday afternoon cricket until really until 2000. Uh, there were a couple of uh, different uh, aspects along the way since since I became involved, and uh, the, some of the highlights, I guess, uh, through that period was that uh, we moved into, in 2000, we got our first funding from the ICC when the development program was created. That enabled in 2001 to employ Pierre Chilia uh, as the one and the first, the first and only uh, employee at the time and, and, and move on from there. It also attracted some people to put some money in, generally through personal contact, but uh, we've always held ourselves in high esteem within the community from the way that we have uh, dedicated the game to growth uh, through the kids and in the last 20 years in particular. I uh, got the idea in 1991, we're at the Pacific Games in Port Moresby and uh, and through and I was playing then and uh, through through the discussions with some of the people around, particularly the guy called Wayne Satchel from uh, Papua New Guinea Cricket, that we should uh, move towards affiliate membership of the ICC, which happened in 1995. And, and, and we just built on the concept of, of, of growing, of doing things better than we did before, of uh, att- 
tackling opportunities that, that arise by getting in the schools. We were the first sport that ha- that embedded ourselves in, in the schools in Vanuatu, uh, which had no sport on the curriculum. Um, that was in 2001 after Pierre came on board. So that that, that was sort of the impetus to, to go forward and forward. I think we had a very... A very static period in the in the in the nineties. The, the the significant highlight there was when we connected with the Ginger Megs Eleven, uh, which is a group of guys put together by uh, James Kemsley, who who was the cartoonist for for the Ginger Megs uh, cartoon strip, which huh. um, Australians would be familiar with. Yeah, and that and that group they came to Vanuatu when uh, they were on the Fairstar cruise line and. Uh, a cyclone forced them to take refuge in our port and we happened to meet them in the day that they were stranded in Port Vila and it grew from there. We must have had six or seven uh, tours with the Ginger Megs 11 who are predominantly New South Wales former players together with one or two celebrities from time to time. And that also kindled a a bit of of interest in the uh, sponsors that we need to support the game. It kindled some interest from the kids who came along and saw these people they'd really never heard of but uh, saw in the newspaper that we were promoting it. Uh, so we went from there to, yeah, I think in 2005, I, I hand-sewed a uh, cricket ground, which is now the VCG, because we were hosting a tournament for the uh, region. Uh, that was a period of getting out, out of my office and going down and putting the grass seed in first and then changing uh, sprinklers every three hours of a day for about two or three or four weeks just to get the growth going. Um, yeah, we've had uh, you know some, 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 some good fun along the way. That particular ground, when it was being um, cleared, it was, it was bush and uh, I had a lot of... It was quite interesting when the boys came across snakes, which have quite, quite a few snakes around, and, but they were all scared. Of, uh, <laughs> of, of 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 reptiles and snakes in particular, they run everywhere when one came slithering out. And they're all pythons; they're all Pacific boas, so there's no uh, chance that they get poisoned. But uh, you know, me too, I don't particularly like them. It's, uh, but it was fun. It was fun. And then from you know there, we've we moved on our development program. We employed played a few more people when we got some more money and some more sponsors. Uh, we got the schools. A little bit more involved, and uh, and at one stage, probably uh, we passed the twenty thousand numbers for for involvement. But that represented uh, seven or eight percent of our entire population, and I'm really pleased about that. That's that's it's probably the most important element of the whole thing, of uh, taking cricket from just being that Saturday afternoon club club competition to now to the position where we've got forty employees. Um, many of them are national players, but not all. Uh, we're involved in some fantastic social programs, and uh, and we get out to uh, to the schools, not only in Port Vila but in five other locations around the country in four, four different islands. And step by step by step, we've got the employees out there to try and uh, encourage the development of the sport, but also the development of the kids in their in their own uh, community uh, orientation. Well, I can see the uh, the pads are there behind you in the in the corner of the office there, Mark. So, um, are you still involved in playing? Do you, do you still get a hit out on the Saturday afternoons? Um, not this year. I've uh, I'm now sixty six, and uh, I'd like to think that I was I'm, I'm making way for a younger kid to play. 
but uh, I don't think I'm getting picked anymore. That might, that's probably the gut. <laughs> I did have a few games last year. Poor, poor Tim stole the kid's spot on the weekend. Uh, we just heard about some of his exploits yes, uh, on the that. field and his uh, grand return to, to playing. And I suppose while we do have him in our minds, and yes, while we've done a lot of work with Tim over the last two and a half years, he's come into your setup uh, very recently, albeit during a pandemic. And, and as a, a CEO of a of a a cricketing national governing body. He's done it in the past and he comes to you guys, you know, with relative experience. How has he sort of fit in with, with the Vanuatu cricket culture and what do you think he would bring to, to the table now in terms of growing Vanuatu cricket and, and taking it to the next level? Well, from what I hear, not too much on the field. But, <laughs> uh, but, but, but he, he does bring the experience within, the, uh, within a reasonably high-profile associate member country. Uh, he's got commercial experience in the insurance industry and and, and, and a bit wider than uh, just coming straight from 100% cricket life, which has been the more or less of the experience we had in our previous overseas employees. And uh, so he's got a, a, a sort of a work-life mix that, that has started to and will give us a great deal of benefit in trying to ensure that we continue the programs that we've got and grow them into further further into the community, grow it, grow the numbers of participants and to be able to get out there and encourage people who uh, may want to support cricket to, to, to uh, become sponsors of particular activities or just the generally of the program. It's very important to us, as uh, I think everybody can appreciate now, you know, just growing the game in the, with the kids, we have to be able to go out and get equipment to uh, put in their hands. Um, way back when we started the uh, development program here, we talked about getting plastic bottles and chopping them in half and provide, making them batting teas and getting any sort of stick in your hand and, and, and the like, which still not out of the question, but uh, it's more difficult now to encourage young kids to pick up a plastic, hit off a plastic bottle than one of these nice batting tees we have. It's more difficult to get them to use the branch of a tree rather than a cricket bat in, in the right form and style. So you know, we, we compete against uh, a more informed, with our children, they're more informed about the global activities. That Everyone's got a, access to some sort of device that... Uh, shows them that they should do better than they did before. And we're happy to try and achieve something like that by doing better than we did before. And Tim brings a good, solid background with a great attitude. We'll make sure we, we cut that out so we don't, you know... Swallow his head too much, yeah. We, we, it doesn't look like we're, we're giving too, yeah, too much credit to, to Tim. This is, this is also about incentivising him as well. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, yeah, we we all we love seeing Tim doing well, and and it's it's like seeing you know one of your family members being successful. But I, I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of getting more kids playing and and moving out, you, you talked about how things are different from you know 30 years ago when when you started as president. And I'm one of the key figures in that professionalization, if you want, is Pierre Chalia that you mentioned. Now he's a key figure in you know Vanuatu cricket generally. You know, he started playing in the eighties, I think, and and all the way through to two thousand and nine. I think might have been the end of his career. And so he's a sort of a, a major figure. Tell us a bit more about him and and his influence on you know Vanuatu cricket. 
Well, I, I think if I was to pat myself on the back, that would be probably one of the biggest pats as an inspired choice uh, way back in 2001. Pierre was uh, very active in his community, but he was available. He proved himself as, as a player and a leader in the, with the Vanuatu national team. He had good contacts and, and good attitude, and, uh, he, he, and he just fitted in well. We worked very well together. And, and we've worked, we still do after just about 20 years. Pierre's skill as a player was very, it was, it was, it was excellent. He had his capacity to, to field and bat and bowl and get wickets and make runs, take catches. So he was an inspirational leader when, when he was captain of the national team. And, uh, and, he, and he worked very well with a, a guy who, Another, another, another fellow that helped us start this all along, who was working outside of cricket, but a guy called Patrick Haynes. Then, then Pierre, you know, he was general manager for a long time until we felt that we needed to add a little bit more emphasis to the promotion of the game and the, and the growth of the national team. And that's uh, sort of when we um, promoted Shane Dietz into the CEO role and and let uh, Pierre go back to being our general manager for, for development, where he worked with the where he still works with the grassroots development right around the country, which has expanded from just Fate, our home island, to f- five locations now. And we're still working hard to, to make that grow and to, uh, and to continue our success with the kids. And one of the things that we've noticed from afar, looking at the Vanuatu national team and, and also the under-19s team that really does, you know, achieve great success con- considering the, the, the size of, of Vanuatu as a, as a playing nation. But I'm guessing that on a Saturday and playing in club cricket, a lot of these kids are, are moving into perhaps adult cricket and they actually line up to either play against or with a few of the national team members. How important is it to have those role models as national team players, not only as people to, to look up to, but ultimately uh, people that they blood their own talent and they test their own talent against on a weekend-to-weekend basis, not only through the cricket we've watched on streams, but you know the club cricket that happens every weekend in Vanuatu? Well, I, I think that uh, being around others who have performed well and, and learning from them is, is very important. To, and it also showed gets them into a into an area where they uh, they test themselves at a young age and most of our boys have uh, come in and played senior cricket when they've been 15 or 16 as as we've progressed over the last 20 odd years so they test themselves at a young age and I'd like to think we could do, grow more than we have and um, we still I'm still stuck with eight eight senior teams in Port Vila where the where the bulk of our um, matches go on but we, we live in, in reality, we live in a world where there's competition for, for everybody's attention on a, on a regular basis. And there are the, the, the younger people um, with video games, with uh, you know, the lure of, of going out with, with, with girls or going out with boys for the, for, the, for, the girl, for the women players and things like that, because we have got a very good women's program uh, included in our, in our strategy and included in, in the growth of our, of our game in Vanuatu. But to, to back to your basic question of, of what uh, benefits do the little kid the, the little kids get from being with the big kids is they learn and they also get to learn respect and that's another important element that uh, we try and dri- drive home to everybody to ensure that there's that there's respect for the for the uh, what's gone on before 
and eagerness for what's coming later. You, you've talked about uh, people coming in to Afate, the main island. What's the, I guess, strategy and, and you know, how do you guys go about getting cricket out to the remote islands? We do, we do have uh, re- reasonable uh, flight access uh, around the country, but we, it's been important in our growth perspective to ensure that we get people on the ground to lead that growth and drive that growth in the different areas, like Santo, for example. Uh, we've probably been 10 years quite strongly in Santo. Tanner has been off and on. You know, we've had a couple of uh, personnel issues that has uh, sort of uh, stalled us there a bit. We've gone into Malakula, and these names may not mean much to you, but we're, we're quite spread out and now our, close to 300,000 people and now spread, still spread over 81, 83 islands, depends on who you listen to. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's very important to us to, to get that presence, to support them from our head office in, in, in Port Vila. And we do, uh, you might have uh, seen uh, the late last year, uh, the uh, women's uh, group, the women's team took uh, to themselves, basically, to Santo and, and played, played exhibition games. Uh, with them and a team from Malakula went up to Santa, which is not too, too big a distance. I think they must have gone by boat to, to get across and also went out to the schools. And that was really fantastic, uh, fantastically well received in Santo. It gave extra drive to our national women's players because not that they need much extra to drive them along because they're a very committed uh, bunch of women. And it also put us into visibly into the community in a, in another place, and that's uh, as part of the, if you like, overall strategy is to is to yeah make sure that we're well well known for what we do on and off the field. That's a really good point to to bring up because you talked about the attention that you know everyone's having their attention competed for, but I think it's pretty fair to say that Vanuatu roughly this time last year stole the sporting world's attention with the blast and and the t20 women's tournaments that were held at that point and that was i think a, a pretty key moment for your cricket and, and for associate cricket in general you know it was i suppose celebrated with an icc development award as well and thinking about what that did and the exposure that vanuatu got as a result of that where to now to, to kind of galvanise and to push on from, from something like that? Because not only is there worldwide attention, I'm sure that in Vanuatu and it being played on national TV or being accessed around the country, it, it, it certainly did wonders for, for national cricket in Vanuatu as well. Yeah, I think we'd like to, to really see that as a, a foundation stone for what we're seeking is to get cricket tourism here. That's on hold at the present time, as you would well appreciate. But the... Uh, uh, it did. It did create an opportunity to uh, bring Vanuatu to everybody's device, whether it be a tele- television, video screen, uh, iPad, uh, whatever what, how, how people were seeing or listening to it. And the, the numbers were astounding. The numbers are astounding. At, uh, even in newspaper distribution, when it was taken to uh, taken to the world through what, 200 million people or something. Um, from from us, it was a surprise that we were taken so well and and, and spread so broadly. It was no surprise that we impressed people. You know, when when the people looked at our the athleticism of the of our of our players and the men the men and the dedication of the women and the, to to performing as best they could, 
I'm uh, I'm really pleased to say we got great uh, great positive feedback from from all around the world. We we need to continue with that type of activity, and uh, we'll be looking to see how we can. And this is one of Tim's job is to is to find find a, a, the right sort of platform to take it forward uh, with uh, getting out there through through whatever means possible to ensure that we don't fall behind or go backwards from from that uh, that really fantastic start. Look, there was a couple of incredible catches that I remember. I think it might have been Sioni on the boundary, one hand, one handed and parallel to the ground. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, just the the highlights were were plenty, and it wasn't really. I can I can personally attest to this. It wasn't hard to make copy and, and to produce stories on on the matches that unfolded because there were enough highlights in in T ten matches for for the blast. That there was enough there for hundreds and, and thousands of words to be written about it. I can personally attest to the tourism aspect and having visited Vanuatu, unfortunately not for cricket, but Air Vanuatu around the place does a really good job. Been to Santo, been to, to Tana, there's some outstanding places to visit, the volcano and everything else. But to bring it back to, to the idea of, of cricket tourism, I think looking particularly at Australia and New Zealand for the basis of that, you know, come 12 months, two years down the track, there are certainly going to be you know possibilities of, of things like that unfolding what would something like that do for for Vanuatu cricket in general having the attention of of touring teams coming in and playing on that VCG surface that we saw the the hybrid deck and we'll probably talk about that at some point but how how important would that be in in, in the context of Vanuatu cricket well I, I think it's be positive uh, we, we get uh, spectators we get people that we wouldn't normally see at the cricket uh, when we'd have a a little mini series with 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 a, with a touring team from where, wherever they might be. We'd be looking to see top level first grade clubs or even even uh, provinces and states come over here at an appropriate time to to get some some uh, work done. And we may not get the the test the test players across because they've just got no time in their calendar. But uh, we'd, we'd certainly see some you know maybe the next big big thing might uh, do. A, yeah, impress in Vanuatu and go on to be uh, be the, the first pick in the IPL. Uh, so we we see that as a, an, a, an opportunity to 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 bring the kids along, have a weekday a weekday match and and, and uh, work with the schools to get the the boundary line sort of just uh, surrounded by by a whole bunch of little kids who are who are keen to to then uh, take the next step and become part of that big setup with the Vanuatu cricket that can attract people to come and enjoy themselves as well as, as play their trade in, in, in Port Vila. Well, you, you've talked about the kids a couple of times now, and I'm just thinking, you know, that makes me think of the community projects that Vanuatu cricket has been undertaking and how, I guess, in a lot of ways, development of the game and, and sort of development more generally of Vanuatu and, and people's um, you know, communities and, and society is interlinked for cricket in Vanuatu. So tell us a bit more about the, the collaborations with um, kind of community development projects and how that overlaps with cricket. You know, I'm thinking of the, the Mummers project with the Pacific cricket and um, you know, some, some stuff with DFAT coming through from Australia as well. Yeah, well... I guess the first community engagement we took was way back in the early 2000s when we started uh, Cricket Blow Everyone, working with the uh, people with disabilities. We we never had a a competition with them. We just created an opportunity for 
for participation with at that that level and and they've always really been appreciative of the opportunity to do something different and if you read the backstories of disabled peoples in in, in the islands you, you can understand that uh, it's very difficult to get them out and uh, and uh, to to lose the what I term the shame factor of having somebody who's not normal, not normal. Uh, so, so that's the first step that we took. And then uh, Women's Island Cricket, the mummers, very much modelled uh, along the lines of what they, they do in uh, New Caledonia as, a, as a, just a normal, their, their, their preferred form of cricket in New Caledonia and uh, to a, less, a, a different extent in, in Samoa uh, is to get this huge piece of wood and... Uh, and hit the, hit the ball, which is made out of the sap of the Nabanga tree, and, and and just play it slightly different than we do, but with a lot of fun. And and we've we've linked that up with a social program with our health people and their nutrition people. We've uh, shown significant improvement in the health of the of the women that participate. We've uh, shown uh, given an opportunity again women women's role. In the, in the villages, and these people are mainly come from the village, villages around Port Vila, is primarily is the, they're the ones that do all the hard work, the ones that go in the gardens, the ones that go and prepare everything. And, 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 and it, gives, it just pulls them away. And they get to see people they might see once a year at, a, at one of the, the church conferences or something like that, but on a more regular basis. And they share stories and they, and they, and they just have a lot of fun. We've got that. And, and now with the with the Australian-funded programs we've had over the last couple of years. And they've, they have been also providing some funding to support the Women's Island Cricket Program for a few few years now. Uh, now, now we've got a, a gender equality, uh, violence against women uh, emphasis. Uh, we're going, we've got some ambassadors uh, working for us in that program, headed up by Hannah Tamata, uh, that uh, you know, we're really getting some leverage out there with the younger people and we feel that's a very important uh, starting point to, to get away from from what has been considered the norm with the you know partner beating uh, to something where kids we will hope that they'll be prepared to stand up and stand against it as time goes by it's going to be very difficult we're very you know, a lot of people don't see anything wrong with the with a husband beating a wife. Uh, we want to get that out of out of the mentality, and, uh, and and there's plenty of other people are doing the same thing, and we just hope that we're contributing uh, to that uh, benefit for 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 a society in general. Uh, we don't we don't like it. We we don't uh, we don't condone any of that, and we don't see any reason why it should happen ever. Yeah, so as well as the community aspect and, and of course, the DFAT funding from Australia, you know, on the government side of things, do, do you see a role for Cricket Australia to kind of step up, sort of partner with their Pacific neighbours in terms of their, you know, Australia is in the ICC's East Asia Pacific region and, and as, you know, the leading full member in that region, you know, do you see a role for them in sort of helping grow the game around the region? There's most definitely a role for Cricket Australia to be be a more active partner with the other members of the East Asia Pacific region and to Cricket New Zealand as well. Um, some years ago, there was a, there was a, a program initiated uh, through our regional office of the, the uh, state-province partnerships, which was a good positive thing. Uh, I think uh, the most a- active remaining partnership is Japan and Victoria, and that's just one, one way of uh, moving things along. Personally, I'd like to see us Cricket Australia come say we'll have a an EAP under 15s championships, boys and girls, bring it all together in 
in Cairns, Townsville or, or Darwin or something like that to take it out away from the capital cities. And but that be the catalyst for growth right throughout the region, the opportunity to, to bring the kids into, into focus in a pathway that, uh, that we're missing at the present time. I've had this discussion with a number of my colleagues around the region and, and they all support it, but it's a, it's a question of money. It's always a question of money. And uh, th that would be wonderful. I've, um, I've had oh, sort of broad discussions with uh, James at uh, Cricket Australia for, for a number of years, but he's no longer there. So, and and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, wasn't in his handover notes. Um, so we, we, we'd like to reinvigorate those sort of uh, discussions. Uh, when we first started uh, the EAP regional meeting, the first meeting was in Auckland in 2000, uh, Australia and New Zealand were, re were always represented. They don't always come now. Though. I think they're invited still, but uh, you know, it's, it's some, some, somewhere, something we should, in, uh, not demand, but we should, certainly should encourage a closer, closer cooperation with our, with our big brothers in the cricket region. We'll have part two with Mark on next week's show, but for now, that's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as two US dollars a month. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Culler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week. <laughs>